for the greatness of your grace towards us and the Lord Jesus. We come to you now to sit at your feet, to hear your word, and to hear you speak to us. And so, Father, we pray that you would anoint me with your spirit, that my, I might be able to speak in um, the spirit and in truth, to bring honor and glory to Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Scripture reading is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pay careful and reverent attention to it. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Jesus has warned us, in this world you will have trouble. So we know life is full of trouble. You know that, of course, from your own experience. You have um, experienced life and you know what troubles are. We all face varied and many troubles. Each of us have at times uh, seemed to be at the point of being overwhelmed. As a congregation of God's people, we face uncertainty. And we see issues and problems that trouble us deeply. As a nation, we are confronted with uh, overwhelming odds, it would seem. An enemy who has no face and all um, of his efforts against us. As individuals, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, as citizens in the United States, we face situations which are troubling and complex. Simply put, we're in trouble. And in the midst of all of these troubles and pressures, we often do not act like Christian people. We blow up, lose our tempers, say things and do things that we should not say and do. Uh, we leave things that we should have done undone, as we confessed in our confessions. Sometimes we don't know what we should do, and so we don't do anything. Uh, oftentimes the pressure gets to us, and we sin. 
And then the devil comes along and tries to erode any sense of Christian confidence that we might have had. Things like, if you're really a Christian, how could you have said that or done that? Or, if, you're re- if they were really a Christian, how could they have said or done that? This morning I want us to be reminded that we are in the fray of a ferocious battle. Satan desires to destroy us. And so this morning we're going to consider these words of the Apostle Paul regarding Christian assurance. God wants every true believer in Jesus to know that he still really loves you. We need to be reminded that biblical Christianity is different from all other religions. Our faith does not depend on what we do. Our faith depends on what God has done for us. And the passage this morning reminds us that God's people can count on His grace. The first thing that uh, I'd like to point out is that all Christians are saints. The word saint means holy one. The word expresses the idea of distinction. Saints are different from the people all around us, different from the rest of mankind. Saints are set apart, consecrated. There is a basic and fundamental difference between a Christian and the rest of the people in the world. And this relationship has to do with sin. Christians are holy ones. If you're real honest and you think about it, you say, well, how can I be a holy one? How could you be someone who is holy, pure, without sin? Well, the Apostle Paul reminds us of the gospel. Verse 5 speaks of a partnership in the gospel. Saints have been involved in the gospel. We have heard the good news of Jesus. Not only have we heard it, but we've taken hold of it. And we're eager to spread it. They help Paul out in his work. It's interesting that Acts 16 is kind of the background for this book of Philippians. And it describes the beginning of the church in Philippi, and especially the conversion of the jailer. The making of a saint, we'll call it. The apostle has exorcised an evil spirit from a slave girl. She has produced a sizable income for her owners. Um, And now, with this exorcism, that income is gone. And so the uh, owners of the girl start a riot because they're unhappy. Uh, They're irate with the apostle. And this has resulted in the arrest of the apostle Paul and Silas. They're thrown into jail. And about midnight, surprisingly, it says, as they are singing psalms and hymns, God sends an earthquake. The doors of the prison are opened. The jailer, who by now has been awakened from his sleep, has assumed that all the prisoners have escaped and that he will be held accountable for their escape. And so he decides that the best thing for him to do is to uh, commit suicide and do away with himself. And as he's about to do that, 
Paul yells out, Do not harm yourself. The jailer is astounded. He is so impressed by this demonstration of God's power, not only with the earthquake, but the response of the apostles to stay there and to be concerned about him. And so the man cries out, What must I do to be saved? And this is the all-important question. The most important issue in all the world. Paul's answer is straightforward. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And so the text goes on and tells us that the jailer recognized that he had this great need to be saved. He knew that he must be delivered from God's coming wrath and judgment. And Paul tells him that his only hope for himself and his family is the Lord Jesus Christ. The jailer believes, he trusts in Jesus, and he is saved. This is the portrait of someone becoming a Christian. A Christian is one who has entered into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is a personal interest and involvement in the gospel. So I ask you, have you entered into this relationship by faith? Is your only hope Jesus? Now, see, the problem is lots of people know about Jesus and lots of people think they have faith. But are you... This is a question only you can answer. And only by God's grace. But are you living by faith or are you living by sight? Do you try to figure out things for yourself? There is a huge tendency and temptation to do that. My current situation, I've realized that more and more. I used to think about not needing, not really needing anyone. Being independent on my own. Well, trusting in the Lord. Looking to the Lord for strength. And I trusted Him. But I wonder if I could trusted him completely. Was I really trusting in him or was I trusting in myself? The good news of the gospel is that those who really trust in Jesus are saints. The word saint is not reserved for some superior level of Christian. A saint is not someone who is better than anyone else. Uh, But a saint is someone who knows how bad he really is, how weak he is, how much he needs help, how much he needs God's forgiveness. A saint is one who has thrown in his lot with Jesus and is resting and trusting completely in him. 
The Bible says that the righteous will live by faith. It does not only mean that we trust in Jesus for our salvation, but it means that we trust in Jesus as our Lord and that we look to Him and rest in Him and His provision for us. A saint is one who has been called of God. A saint is one who walks with God and trusts God. Simply put, are you a saint? You don't know, maybe, if God has called you. But are you trusting Him completely? Or are you walking in your own strength? There's a tremendous difference between living by faith and living by sight. God calls His people to live by faith. And then there are a couple of characteristics in our passage which describe a Christian. Christians receive grace and peace from God. Verse 2 indicates that the source of all grace and peace is God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, Father and Son, giving us grace. Undeserved favorable action toward sinful people. This is grace. It's the unwarranted, unmerited favor of God towards those who were His enemies. Grace is not what you, is not getting what you deserve from God. Someone has well said that grace could be defined as anything I get short of hell. Grace is God's unconditional love to us in Jesus Christ, His Son, sent to the world to save sinners. And it's in the cross of Christ that we see the grace of God. Through the cross of Christ, God has made a way for us rebellious sinners to be accepted by Him into His family. So the Apostle writes in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace and peace. More than just the absence of hostility and strife. Peace is a sense of well-being, especially with regard to our relationship with God. Peace comes from resting in God and walking by faith. Romans 5 indicates that peace with God, again, comes only through faith in Jesus Christ and promotes a sense of stability and security. So, Christian, you can count on God. You can be assured of God's continuing sympathy and concern, His favor. We continue to receive grace and peace 
from God. Second characteristic of a Christian is that we are related one to another. Christians are related one to another. So we consider the word saints again. Um, we've noted in the past, and uh, you well know, that the term always occurs in the plural in the Bible. There are no Lone Ranger saints. And in this personal letter, Paul recognizes the structure and organization of the church. He addresses the members as saints. He also includes the overseers and the deacons. All of us are co-participants in God's grace. And God has put us in His church. And there are times when uh, we might tend to think that we wish He hadn't. Because it's not easy. But God has put us in family still, hasn't He? And family living is not always easy. And so, be encouraged. You can count on God's grace to you in Christ. God has called you to be a saint, a holy one. And He has not left His holy ones on their own. But He has given us one another in His church. The church, you see, is vital to every Christian. We are precious to God. Jesus died for His church. And so, like Jesus, we're called to love His church. Well, the second thing, main thing I want to point out today is that as a Christian, you can count on God's continuing grace. All Christians can depend upon the grace of the Lord. It's one of my favorite verses of Scripture. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm sure of this. I am confident. I am convinced. I am sure. I trust and I obey God because of this. Paul has been persuaded, persuaded to believe this truth. And Paul is confident of God's continuing blessing upon the Philippians and upon the saints. Again, to be confident means to know with certainty, to act with certainty. In the New Testament, it is always associated with faith and trust. God wants you to have confidence in His continuing grace. God loves you. Paul wrote of this confidence in Romans 8, 38 and following. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Martin Luther used to say that his favorite preacher was the tamed robin who visited his window. Every night, the little robin ate the crumbs from Luther's table. 
Then it would fly to its branch, sing a song of praise to God, tuck its head under its wing, and sleep until morning, writes Luther. Luther said that was the best sermon for him. He learned to trust his Father in heaven one day at a time. God is teaching you and me that his grace is like a big security blanket. Just like a little child clings to her favorite blanket, a Christian finds himself wrapped up in God's love and goodness. And you can depend on it. Because God's grace is freely and sovereignly given. You haven't earned it. You don't deserve it. But you can have confidence as you know that salvation is from the Lord. Your good standing with God is not based on what you do. It's founded on the merits of Christ. It's based in the love of God. And so that's why the Apostle calls it a beautiful work. It's something which is absolutely adorable. It's wonderful. God is building His church. He's calling a holy people for His own possession to Himself. And your salvation, your relationship with God is a part of this great work which God is doing. Now, let's notice a couple things about this salvation which God is doing. Paul reminds us that God has initiated your salvation. The term began, used in verse 6, means to inaugurate or to initiate, to begin. The one who inaugurated, the one who started this work in you. The word is used in the New Testament exclusively for the work of the Holy Spirit. So in Galatians 3.3, Paul writes, Are you foolish, having begun by the Spirit, having been initiated by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's also consistent with Timothy or Titus, Titus 3.4-6. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. God, through His Holy Spirit, has initiated your salvation. He has given you new life. We see this clearly, the initiation of our salvation, as is illustrated in Acts 16 again. Again, referring back to the account of the evangelistic efforts of Paul in Philippi. This whole thing started while Paul and Silas went down to the river to pray on the Sabbath. Some women were gathered there, and Paul began to speak with them. No doubt he proclaimed the gospel to them, and they believed. Verse 14 says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention what was said by Paul. See, unless the Lord opens the heart, 
no one pays attention. The same word is used in the, um, to describe Jesus opening the ears of a deaf mute. The Lord initiates salvation. It's just underlining the fact that your relationship with God depends on Him, not on you. So we reflect on Ephesians chapter 1 where we learn that God the Father has planned our salvation before He even created the world. He carefully orchestrated His plan for your salvation and finally sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to purchase your salvation with His own life. Jesus came and did what only He could do, what you could not do. He lived righteously and He gave His life as a ransom for us. He accomplished our salvation. And from our experience, we know that the Holy Spirit initiated our salvation by enabling us to hear and believe the gospel. He has opened up our hearts and our minds so that we listen to Him, so that we follow Jesus. He empowers us so that we live by faith and not by sight. And so, the whole background of the New Testament demonstrates that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, can be said to initiate our salvation. But from our experiential point of view, it is God the Holy Spirit who has opened our hearts and our minds to God. God alone is the author of your salvation. God alone is the prime actor in your salvation. He has chosen you. He has worked out the salvation and He has sent His Spirit so that you receive and believe this good news. Now, God has done all of that. And you need to know that you can continue to count on God's grace. He's done all of that. He's not going to give up now. God will complete your salvation. Paul underlines that. He will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. In this passage, God goes on record and promises that He will ensure your salvation. He wants you to know that it will be complete. Uh, the fact that He started it, that He's provided it, should be enough for us. But we need the extra comfort. When we are tempted, when we sin, when we are in chaos and turmoil, we need to know that God will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so we rejoice in these gracious promises. Romans 8, 8. We know that all things for those who love God work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He knew He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So there it is. We can relax. God is for us. God is not going to give up on you or on me. And I can look at the circumstances in my life and you can look at the circumstances in your life and know that God is putting the final touches on your faith. He's growing your faith. He's making you to live by faith and not by sight. That's what it's all about. The Lord God Almighty, wise and powerful, is custom-fitting circumstances for your life. That's His will. It fits into His greater scheme, but as an individual believer, you can be sure that God's will will not be frustrated. He will use whatever means appropriate to conform you to the image of His Son. God is doing that. He's working to complete your salvation. Our Christian experience has many parallels to what um, has been referred to as the war on terrorism. Uh, President Bush spoke about that following the attacks of September 11th. Um, In terrorism, in this war against terrorism, we fight an uh, unidentified, faceless foe. As Christians, we know that Satan is our adversary. The scripture teaches us that he has a mighty host of allies called powers of darkness and spiritual forces of evil. And these forces and Satan operate in this world to continually oppose God and his plan and purpose. Beyond all this, we continually struggle with the sin which dwells in us even though we have become Christians. We struggle with the old nature We are engaged in a spiritual warfare, which is very similar to waging war against terrorists. Let me highlight just a few of these similarities. First, the foe is invisible, yet sinister and diabolical. doesn't play by the rules. Our enemy is subtle and elusive, and at the same time fierce and bent on our destruction. Even though our enemy is overmatched in terms of might and power, our enemy relies on fear and intimidation, deception and manipulation. And so we have surprise attacks. Our enemy cannot be defeated by a single decisive battle. You see what it's like? It's a life of struggle 
And this conflict calls for patience, continuing commitment, determination, resolve on our part, and especially this, the willingness to give up our own desires and rights for a greater cause. And I submit to you that it's within this context that we must see ourselves as Christians. The Church of Jesus Christ is like a little band of rescue workers given the task of digging through the devastation of life. Our goal is to find the dying and to bring the word of life to them. We must renew and continue our commitment to King Jesus, who comes to us through this apostle and is reminding us this morning, the war will be long, but trust me, I will and must win, says Jesus. Our situation is similar to that of Joshua in the Old Testament. God had appointed him to lead his people at the death of Moses, And the Lord appears to him and says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three times the Lord tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. He needed to have it underlined and highlighted like us. Be strong and courageous. Live in the faith and power given to you by the Holy Spirit. God is behind this great work which he is doing. And our circumstances may be very confusing and very daunting. And yet, God is in control. Believer in Jesus, when there are many demands and pressures on you, it's easy to lose perspective we have the tendency to think that our future depends upon us. This fosters a mindset that our relationship with God depends on our personal performance. This is not biblical thinking. God, your Savior, has commanded you to live by faith, not by sight. God is the one who has initiated his salvation. Christ is the one who is building his church. 
It is a beautiful work which he intends to see to completion. This work will go on until Christ returns or until we go to be with the Lord. You can count on that. God promises that he will finish what he has started. And from your perspective, remember these things. And remember you are in a spiritual battle. Don't be surprised with struggles and difficulties. Jesus told you, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You remain in a cosmic conflict that has been going on since Satan rebelled against his creator. You will face struggles and turmoil. You will have spiritual victories. You will have spiritual defeats. But always remember this. Your salvation does not depend on your victory over sin. God has made his children holy. In Christ, believers are saints, holy ones. And we can expect to receive grace and peace from him. He has brought us into this relationship and he will see it through. He will continue to encourage, comfort, support, and equip us to accomplish his plan. And so, believer, we are people of hope because we can count on God's grace. Just remember, you're a work in progress. And God will complete this good work in you. And it will be completed right on time. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for the greatness of your love and ongoing commitment to us. We acknowledge that we are undeserving and we rejoice in your great mercy and forgiveness. I pray, Father, that there's someone here today who does not know you, does not rest in you, is not trusting completely in Christ, that you will work that in his or her heart, that they might believe in the Lord Jesus, that we all might walk by faith and not by sight. We thank you, Lord, that you do work in the lives of your people, that you open up our minds and our hearts so that we believe, that you have provided all that we need in Christ, that you continue to sustain and stand by and support and encourage and provide for us. So, Lord, we ask that you would use us to bring glory to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.